0: Missing people, mysterious deaths, and unexplained creatures are all part of America's national parks. What's going on out there? And what caliber bullet do you need to blast it away? Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. And wouldn't you know it, you can follow me at Dark Prevails on Twitter to see things like a recent blooper from this very episode. Today I've prepared for you a fresh helping of National Park horror stories and scary campfire tales. Enjoy, and be sure to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. I am planning another Wendigo Encounters episode soon, so if you have encountered something weird you believe may have been a Wendigo, send it to me at darkstories.org ASAP. Now, let's begin. terrifying encounter in small town ohio from cindelina back in the 80s my dad had a friend named joe who worked for the ohio parks and wildlife division he normally worked in the columbus area however on this occasion he was in a town called defiance where the independence dam state park is located Joe described the park as being well-hidden, nestled between a wide river and a thick forest of tall trees. Once inside, it was long and narrow, with a small camping area in the back. One way in, one way out, and nothing but dense, deep forest behind it. This is his story. Joe met with the sheriff, David, I believe, at his office. The day was pretty much uneventful until around 9 p.m., When a call came in, requesting the Sheriff and Joe respond to a couple camping out at the dam. After about a 15-minute drive through the park, they arrived at the very last campsite where an older silver RV sat. A couple in their mid to late 40s was standing outside waiting. The Sheriff addressed the couple while Joe began looking around. The first thing he noticed was how everything had been thrown about. Lawn chairs upside down or broken. A smashed-up picnic table, a heavy-duty grill that was cemented into a concrete slab, had been bent in half. The couple said they had arrived earlier in the day to get everything set up, ready for a relaxing weekend of camping. They decided to catch some fresh fish for dinner, and that's when they said they felt as if they were being watched. A heavy uneasiness came over them, as they realized the nature around them had gone silent. No birds singing, crickets chirping, nothing. They chose to play it safe and return empty-handed. The couple came back to their RV and began to make a different dinner for the evening, when suddenly the RV began to violently shake back and forth, knocking them both to the floor. To them, it sounded as if they were surrounded on each side of the RV. However, they heard and saw nothing. After several minutes of being tossed about like ragdolls, the husband shouted that he had a gun. The rocking stopped abruptly, and was followed by a long, low bellow, which they could feel vibrating beneath their feet. Keep in mind, this was the 80s, so there weren't any cell phones they could use to call for help. They waited a while before grabbing their gun, throwing the RV door open, and booking it to their truck. There, they drove to a payphone and called for help. The sheriff reassured the couple, telling them they would check out the area and find the people responsible. Joe said he never forgot what the lady said next. You aren't looking for people, Sheriff. You're looking for monsters. David went back to his vehicle, grabbed a shotgun, tossed a flashlight to Joe, and they headed out into the woods. Joe wasn't for a moment thinking anything other than this being a bunch of teenagers, but he did notice a look of concern on David's face. The deeper they went, the darker it got. It became so dark that Joe could only see maybe a couple of feet in front of him. At one point, he realized that David had stopped walking. When he turned to say something to him, he was met with a quick, Hush. He watched David point his finger towards the darkness. Joe shined his flashlight where he was pointing, which was about 15 feet away or so the area was thick with tall wide trees packed tightly together between the trees, david whispered joe began moving the flashlight slowly up then down when he saw something pressed up against a tree was a leg a man's leg but larger and hairier He then saw a long, godly-shaped hand, which reminded him of what a man's hand might look like if it had been broken and never healed properly. It had claws instead of nails, which were long, sharp, and wide. Joe felt his heart drop into his stomach as his legs weakened. Then he felt it. The vibration beneath his feet the couple had described, followed by long, deep growls. The air became filled with a suffocating pungent odor, causing both men to recoil in disgust. Joe moved the flashlight up a good eight feet off the ground. There he saw a face. It was covered in thick brownish-gray hair and had the muzzle and teeth of a large canine. The eyes looked like two dancing orange flames, and they were looking right at them. Shoot it joe whispered to david as soon as those words left his mouth several of the same type of creature began slowly creeping out from behind the trees we have to get out of here david said softly while slowly walking backwards joe was the most terrified he'd ever been in his life and he could not get his legs to move he couldn't see them but he could feel them moving in closer and closer with every passing second. The vibrations had become painful by this point, feeling as if his spine was getting ready to explode. Joe admitted to us that he thought those would be his last moments on Earth, viciously mauled by some unknown predators, when suddenly a bright flash of light lit the night sky and a loud bang accompanied it. Horrific screams filled the air, And Joe ran for his life. Later on, Joe found out that David had saw movement behind him. He fired his shotgun in the direction, hoping to scare whatever those things were off. Eventually, they made it back to the campers. Both men were black and blue, with scratches from head to toe from running blind, and the sheriff made them vacate the area immediately. The park was closed for a few weeks after that incident, telling the public it was for repairs. Before Joe left to come back home, he asked the sheriff what he thought it was they saw that night. Without hesitation, he said, Werewolf. He then went on to tell him about the defiance werewolf spotted back in the 70s, Apparently, a railway worker had an encounter with one, which had been stalking the tracks late one night. Even many, many years later, Joe says it's one of his most vivid memories. He'll never understand what they were exactly, or what caused those crazy vibrations, but he does know that they're real, and he'll never return to that part of Ohio again. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the Eerie Cast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the U.S. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. While Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Bordeaux Springs From Jake P. I worked for the National Park Service for almost 30 years in three different states. My final stop was at a national park in Louisiana. I don't want to say which one, but anyone familiar with the Park Service can probably figure it out. I was transferred there as deputy director, put over a sector of the park where we had a lot of campgrounds and hiking trails, but not much else. It was basically dense thicket for miles and miles, as far as the eye could see and always had been, at least in living memory. Some of the veterans who worked in and around my sector told me some interesting stories about things that had happened there over the years. Mostly pretty tame things. Stories about people who claimed to have spotted panthers or Bigfoot in the park. People who had uncovered substance fields or certain types of labs, if you catch my drift. Not that all that isn't interesting, it's just that you hear those kinds of stories a lot in my line of work. But one story that really stands out from my time there was the legend of Bordeaux Springs. As the story goes, when the first white settlers were coming into the area, they maintained relatively peaceful relations with the native Choctaw people. But the natives insisted that the whites had to stay away from one area, a natural cold spring they called Nanushta, a hole in the ground that the natives claimed was bottomless and was home to bad spirits. But eventually, a wealthy plantation owner named Bordeaux was granted the deed to Nanushta and all the land around it for service to the French crown. He passed the land to his son, who eventually built up a large and prosperous sugarcane plantation he named Bordeaux Springs. But the enslaved men and women who worked the land told wild tales of the spring the Choctaw called Nanushta, and rumors spread that children had begun to disappear from the slave quarters in the night. The slaves, many of them practitioners of Haitian Vodu, held ceremonies imploring the evil spirit who lived in the spring to spare the lives of them and their children. Bordeaux himself, it was said, became increasingly cruel to his slaves, punishing them for what he saw as satanic practices. The slaves, for their part, spread the rumor that he had become possessed by the spirit in the spring. Eventually, it all came to a head one night when Bordeaux's youngest daughter, Marion staggered into a neighbor's home one night, covered in blood and ashes. She claimed the slaves had risen up against her family in the night, butchering her family before her eyes and shackling her to a tree. The neighbor sent for reinforcements from the nearby military outpost, and by noon the next day, they were marching off to Bordeaux Springs to put down the insurrection. However, when they arrived, there was hardly a sign of life on the whole estate. The manor house had been torched, nothing of it remained save a smoldering blackened ruin. The slave quarters too had been razed to the ground, along with most of the crops in the field. Strangest of all, however, was that the slaves on the plantation before fleeing into the dense hardwood forest had taken a considerable amount of time and effort to stop up the spring, burying it under a massive amount of dirt and detritus. According to the legend, The bodies of the Bordeaux family were never found, with many supposing they'd been tossed into the spring before it was stopped up. Over 200 years later, by the 1980s, they said that nothing remained of the Bordeaux plantation or the springs except a grown-over heap in the middle of the woods, somewhere in the depths of the park. Many have searched for it, and some even claim to have found it, though they could never do it a second time. But in the early 90s, a professor from a state university had contacted the park director, claiming he had finally pinpointed where Bordeaux Plantation had once stood using satellite mapping technology. He requested permission to conduct a rudimentary excavation at the site, which the park director granted. Time passed and the director forgot about it until the professor and his wife were reported missing. During the investigation, the police noted that the last phone call he had placed from his home number was to the park director. A search was conducted using the coordinates the professor had given the park director and nothing was ever found. No signs of an excavation or campsite, no sign of anything that might be the remains of Birdo Springs. After a week of canvassing the area, The search was abandoned as there was no proof the professor had ever been there to begin with he and his wife had simply vanished without a trace after a while the incident passed out of memory until years later when a camera was found hanging from a branch on a trail deep in the park the trail place where the camera was found was a long way out but not a trail that was infrequently used It was definitely a place that people passed every two or three days during peak camping season. The people who found it said it was hung there quite purposefully, like someone had placed it there and would be back for it shortly. They ignored it when they passed it on their way in, but when it was still there two days later on their way out, they decided to pick it up and turned it in to the ranger station. The camera was placed in the lost and found, forgotten about for a couple of years, until someone came across it while cleaning. They realized there was still film in the camera and decided to have it developed on a whim. When the photos came back, everyone was puzzled at what they saw. The photos seemed to show what appeared to be an older middle-aged man, digging in what looked to be a small mound or hillock, showing various bits of broken pottery or tools he had uncovered. As the pictures went on, there were also several images of him pointing at what looked to be some kind of spring And even cupping his hands and drinking from it. Then things got really strange. The last several photos seemed to show that same man walking around the outside of an antebellum home, pointing out different design features. The pictures became more and more overexposed nearer the end, gradually fading to all white. Obviously, this was a little weird, but as you've probably guessed by now, this wasn't just any middle aged man. Some of the pictures were eventually posted to the park’s website in an attempt to find the camera’s owner. And you guessed it? The man in the pictures was later identified as the missing professor. The police were alerted, but of course they couldn’t make heads or tails of it. No one could. There are no antebellum homes within a hundred miles of where the camera was found. And to this day, no accurate explanation has ever been offered for the strange photographs. Or what became of the professor and his wife. In all my years at the park, no sign of them has ever been found. I don't know what to think about it all. Honestly, I try not to. A National Park Horror Story from Skazbomb27 The story I'm about to tell you only a few people close to me have ever heard. However, I never actually explained in detail what happened that night to absolutely anyone. I live next to Yellowstone National Park, which itself draws millions of tourists each year. Part of the reason I'm writing this is merely a warning to people who decide to visit during the summer months. Last year, in the summer of 2020, some buddies and I decided to go have a night out, and do some camping out near a spot we've been to multiple times in the past. After all, this was right after things started to go back to normal again, concerning the Rona. I decided to head up to the camp spot early, in an effort to make sure my gear was still set up from earlier that day. I wanted to make sure my spot was reserved, as it's first come, first serve. Therefore, with everything in hand, I left my house right before sunset. We were all supposed to meet up within the hour, so I didn't really have any concerns of being alone. I began my 30-minute drive up to the location. When I finally made it there, I immediately noticed my tent and everything inside was gone. Now, I'd staked the tent down in multiple areas, just be sure it stayed for the period I was gone. Inside was my sleeping bag and a few other miscellaneous items, which I left just to keep it weighed down. However, everything, and I mean literally everything, Had disappeared as if it had never been there. I looked around and even the stakes and rocks I placed on the outside were missing. Right away I knew something was wrong because I didn't see any campers on the way up either. Keep in mind I do not have cell service out here as it's a couple miles back into the wilderness. I decided to drive back down from where I came from to get some service. I needed to get a hold of my friends to let them know what happened. I wasn't happy with the situation at all, and I knew that whoever took my stuff was probably still in the area. It had only been there for an hour or two. However, when I got a hold of my friends, they insisted that I stayed and at least hung out for a few hours, as it had taken us weeks of planning. Once I made sure everyone arrived, I then decided to go around the area, searching for any signs of footprints or indicators that maybe these people were close by, the ones that messed with my stuff. As you can guess, I wasn't able to find anything. Eventually, I played it off, deciding I would just look for it in the morning. I could contact the forest service to report it missing too. I also didn't want to ruin the party for everyone and decided to stay. In hindsight, this was by far one of the worst decisions I could have ever made. As the night went on, everything seemed fine. Around one or two in the morning, most of my friends decided to call it a night. I ended up sleeping in my truck. This was perhaps one of the better decisions I made that night. That, along with always making sure to bring my bear spray and sidearm for protection from unexpected guests. Eventually, I fell asleep. However, it's important to note that I was still a bit on edge, aggravated by my things being stolen, and suspicious of whoever may have done it. I decided to leave my window rolled down a bit, just in case I heard anything creep up on us in the middle of the night. After about two hours of sleep, my worst nightmare came true. At first, I heard something moving around outside the campsite. This was enough noise to wake me up, and right away, I froze, not moving whatsoever. My lack of movement was partly due to the fact that whatever was making the noise seemed to be huge, not just a raccoon or a smaller creature. I sat there, paralyzed, listening intently to whatever was happening outside of our camp. My next thought was that it was a bear. We'd had sightings of bears recently in the area. At one point I swear it could have only been 20 to 30 yards away from me. Another key point I noticed was that there was absolutely no other sounds. Usually there are grasshoppers or birds, but it was complete and utter silence. In the wild, that's never a good sign. Usually it means there's a larger predator or something of the like in the area. Meanwhile, it's pitch black out, and our fire had completely gone out by then. After about 15 minutes of not hearing anything, i figured i just needed to stop being paranoid but just as i was about to fall back to sleep i saw something to the right of our campsite it was just a few yards away from the fire pit and probably about 20 yards from me to my absolute horror it was a person i immediately freaked out this was no average person either let alone the fact that it's three or four in the morning and you're in someone else's campsite. This person was wearing what I made out to be some kind of mask. I got a very good look at whoever it was. The mask on their face was of a deer skull. They also wore a black robe. Seeing this, I sure didn't want to leave my truck to confront this person, so I did what else I thought was best. I turned my truck on and began honking the horn until all my friends were awake. I rolled down the window, and told them we need to get out of here immediately. After seeing what I saw, they did exactly that. Meanwhile, this suspicious figure hasn't moved. Just as I thought it was bad, the situation got even worse. More of these figures began appearing in front of us through the trees. They wore the same outfits as mentioned earlier, but with a multitude of different masks. I put my truck into reverse and began speeding away once everyone was inside as we pulled away those figures began to walk closer and closer luckily i was able to drive out of there just in time as i began to speed down the road three more of the figures appeared out from the side of the truck this time they had a dog and a lot of them were acting way more aggressive than the previous ones they began throwing rocks at the truck chasing after us at one point they were literally right next to my passenger window until i accelerated even more and eventually lost them as i looked back in my mirror i saw only one figure left just simply peeking and staring at me from behind a tree that image is forever seared into my mind from that night on i refused to ever go back up there I've never ever spoke of this to anyone. Even when I was around my friends that experienced this, we never brought it up around each other. It's been over a year now since this happened, and well, all I can say is that these people seem to be in some sort of cult. I've heard other stories about similar events happening, and even cattle completely disappearing. It's very barbaric, and you wouldn't think that such a beautiful national park that attracts so many people year round would have such a dark and disturbing secret. My advice to anyone that decides to travel to these mysterious and preserved parks of intrinsic beauty would be to always bring protection of some kind. Likewise, make sure you let others know about your plans and never go alone if you can avoid it. There are hundreds of missing person reports across the national parks inside the US And I could have very well become one of them if I had ended up staying a few minutes too long. Nature has a way to attract very different types of people. Some want to explore and push themselves to their limits. Meanwhile, some simply don't want to be seen, and they lurk in the darkness of the night. A former Green Beret once told me the key to survival was always being aware of your surroundings, listening to your instincts. If a particular situation doesn't feel right, chances are there really is something wrong. Stay safe, everyone. The Redwoods Dragon, from Gamer. To clarify, I was not a witness to this story. It was told to me by one of my good friends, and I have permission to post it here. It all happened around 2018. My friend, who I will call Haley, just for the sake of the story, was 12 at the time and went on a vacation to Redwood National Park. Her family had rented a cabin to stay for the next couple of days. Her family consisted of her mom, dad, and herself. The first day went along quite well. They'd spent the whole day on the trails and admiring the ginormous trees. But that night is when everything went south She told me she was lying on her inflatable mattress, writing and doodling while listening to music, when she heard something. Of course, as she had said, she was wearing earbuds, so I'd believe that it was something loud. She explained that it sounded something like a siren, but it was distorted, and it had a bit of an animal-like growl at the beginning. She'd heard about wolves in the redwoods, but this was nothing like a wolf. It was too loud. And it had to be far judging by the echo. She walked to the living room area where her parents were. She asked them if they had heard the sound that she had heard just moments before. Her mom nodded. Her dad on the other hand was too engrossed in the show on the TV to even notice anything, let alone hear something. Her mom told her not to worry and assured her that it was just a wolf. Haley brushed it off. It could have even been a fire siren. Although she now had some form of closure, she still felt uneasy. That night, she had been awakened twice in the middle of the night to what sounded like faint but heavy footsteps and the occasional breaking branch. The following day, she went out to investigate. She couldn't find any major signs of something there, though she did find a tree about 200 feet from the house that had looked like it had been uprooted. However, it wasn't very big but it was definitely fresh. Haley is the skeptical type, especially with cryptids. She tried to find a logical explanation. There was a fire siren the previous night and the wind had blown this tree down. The only thing she couldn't explain were the footsteps sounds she heard. She didn't want to get too far into this because she just wanted to enjoy the rest of her vacation with her family. She pushed it off, forgetting about it. The second night came around. She was lying on her mattress when again she heard it, the echoing siren-like sound. This time it was closer, so close that it felt as if the windows began to rattle. She jumped from her bed and ran to the porch, hoping to at least catch a glimpse of whatever was making the unbelievable noise. It was about 9.30pm that time, there was barely any visibility outside. She saw nothing, absolutely nothing. She had totally expected that nothing would be there, and had a suspicion that she wouldn't have seen anything. She did, however, notice that as soon as she went on the porch, the sounds stopped. This made absolutely no sense. Haley started to get angry, mostly at the thought of the possibility that someone was out there, messing with her, messing with them. She shook her head in disappointment, then walked back in the house. The rest of that night was quiet, until around 3 AM. She snapped awake at an extremely loud crashing sound. She lay there listening to the sound of rain hitting hard on the cabin roof. Then there was a low rumbling sound. She pulled up her covers and shook her head, a thunderstorm, a bad thunderstorm from the sound of it. She turned towards the window beside her bed and stared at the dark blinds. The rumbling sound never stopped. It sounded like thunder but the sound drew closer then she heard it again the sound of heavy footsteps she was in a way calm in this moment thanks to the window blinds but the calmness went away the instant there was a lightning strike illuminating the yard she told me what happened next still scares her to this day in the quick flash of light she saw a figure it was bipedal but not like a man or even any normal cryptid. It stood on long back legs, had smaller front arms, had a long tail and lizard-like head. She couldn't exactly make out other features on it, but it looked honestly like a dinosaur. She sat up at the window and pulled open the thin blinds. The footsteps got closer and louder. Then suddenly, they stopped. It got quiet other than the sound of the rain pattering on the roof. Haley reached for her flashlight and flicked it on. The window was now blocked by a black and tan striped scaly wall. She couldn't even tell what she was looking at. She flicked the light off, then back on, then it moved. She froze in horror as the wall seemed to back up, revealing the face of this creature. She explained it as looking like a dragon with fully black eyes, it had a large crest on the very top of its head. It let out a guttural growl. She stood there, completely paralyzed, tears pouring down her face just from the sheer terror. Her mind screamed, You move, you die. And there was nothing around that. She could smell the rotting odor expelling from the drool dripping from its mouth, even through the window. It wouldn't look directly into the light, like it hurt its eyes. Her brain told her not to shine the light into its eyes, but she could not hold herself back. It was an uncontrollable urge to do the opposite. She closed her watery eyes and flicked the light into its eyes. The thing squealed, rearing up and letting out its siren-like scream. It was so loud, the entire cabin shook as if it was going to come down. The windows rattled furiously. Haley's parents ran into the room and stared, paralyzed as well. The creature continued to roar at a deafening volume, then it went silent. Expecting it to rip through the roof, Haley closed her eyes as tears soaked her face, but nothing happened, just silence as another lightning bolt struck from the sky. She looked back to the window, reluctantly, only to hear heavy footsteps, walking away, and the end of the creature's spiked tail. At the very end of that tail was what looked like metallic bony spikes. Then it was gone. They stayed the rest of the night in her parents' room all huddled together on the bed, hoping, praying that it wouldn't come back. Thankfully, they made it home safe. Haley was still shaken up long after the event. As they drove out of the campsite, she saw something out of the corner of her eye. It was barely visible. Only the outline showed a 30 foot tall creature, the same creature that had terrorized them the night before. It looked like a dinosaur, but with spikes and a large pointed crest. The only thing that wasn't camouflaged was its cold black eyes. She turned to her mom and tapped her shoulder. It's right there, watching us, Haley whispered. But when she looked back, it was gone. Later, when she tried looking up cryptids, nothing seemed similar. She'd heard of Bigfoot and Wendigo, but this was so different. Me, after hearing this story, the only thing I could think of was either a dragon or a dinosaur. The only dinosaur it fit the description of was a cryolophosaurus or frozen crested lizard. The only thing that didn't match was the size. She said even to this day, she can see its hollow black eyes and hear its siren-like roar. If anyone knows what this is, we'd love to hear what you think. Just remember, if you hear a siren-like sound in the woods, don't stay long. You may not be as lucky as Haley and her family. Under the Floor From George1997 This happened to me, my brother, and our girlfriends. I was 23 at the time, and after this my brother and I convinced my dad to sell the place. It was a Tuesday, and I had a week off work. My younger brother had recently been fired from his retail job. He got fired because he was taking some overly long smoke breaks. We decided to take our girlfriends up to our father's cabin for a few days. It's located around Gravenhurst, Ontario. It's a pretty cool area. The cabin was about 25 minutes from town and 15 minutes from our closest neighbors. Basically, it was nice and remote. A private area. Or so we thought. We left Toronto around 5am and we got to the cabin around 8am. I drove up in my old 95 Chevy Tahoe. My girlfriend, Marie, was in the passenger seat. My brother Mike and his girlfriend Anne were in the back. The cabin itself was a small raised cabin, two bedroom, one bathroom. Outside there was a parking area, some field area, a small fire pit with benches, and the woods beyond, as well as a good sized half workshed half garage building, about 40 feet away from the cabin. Our mom and dad built it that far so she wouldn't have to hear the tomfoolery that went on from another of my dad's projects. But my dear old dad hadn't been up to the cabin much since our mom passed away from cancer a few years back. At 8am we unloaded the coolers and our tied down bags from off the truck and went up the steps, unlocking the old wooden door and we went inside to make some breakfast. Marie and I claimed the larger bedroom. Being the older brother comes with some perks. After frying up some bacon and eggs, peppers and onions and toast, putting together our westerns, we sat on the futon couches in the living room, talking and enjoying the morning. After breakfast, I wanted to relax for a while with my girlfriend. We went to our room and took a nap until about 1pm. Then we went out to the fire pit where Mike and Dan had apparently spent the remainder of the morning together, smoking and stirring their small campfire. We sat around the fire for a while. Anne and Mike were arguing about something at some point, Anne claimed she saw something a few hours ago hiding behind the garage. She said it was a short, skinny, dark, shadowy man peeking out from a corner of the garage. But Mike was convinced she was just trying to freak him out, or that she just saw one of the pine trees swaying in the wind over near the garage. But Anne was adamant, angrily going back into the cabin. Nice going, bro, I said, patting him on the back. He shook his head and lit another cigarette, complaining to Marie and I before we went on to other topics. Suddenly, we heard a scream coming from the cabin. We all stood up and turned to see Anne waving her arms for us to come inside from the large window. We looked to each other and shrugged, then threw some dirt on the fire before walking back into the cabin. Despite Anne's urgent waves, we weren't really in a hurry. Once inside, she locked the door behind us and demanded to be taken home. We asked what she was on about. She explained she saw it again, this black figure. She saw it on the deck through the glass door. It crawled off of the deck and underneath the house. She could even hear it scratching at the floor right where she stood, and that's what made her scream. My brother and I were thinking maybe it was a possum or skunk that she had scared it so it ran off under the house. We were about to go out to sea, but she stopped us, saying it was too dangerous. We convinced her it was probably some small critter just living under the cabin. We tried to get her to calm down, but she got us to stay indoor the rest of the day playing old board games like Scrabble. We snacked and drank some beers from the cooler. Around 10 p.m., when we were about to go to bed, We heard the scratching Anne had described before. It certainly was coming from under the floor in the hallway. It seemed to be making its way to where we were in the living room. Anne grabbed tightly onto Mike's arm, terror in her eyes. But Mike, Marie, and I were unfazed. I suggested we go out and scare whatever was under the house with some flashlights, bang some sticks together, and make some noise. Mike interrupted that idea by slamming his feet on the floor. The scratching suddenly stopped for a minute, but then it came back, more vicious than before. Annoyed, I got up to go outside, but when I was putting on my shoes and looking out the windows, I saw dark shapes moving in the field and around the cabin. I said out loud, What the heck? I grabbed a flashlight and pressed both my face and the flashlight against the glass There must have been around 8 shadowy figures roaming around the cabin. I managed to catch one of their legs in the light of my flashlight, but it was still too fast. From what I saw, the leg was black and leathery against the green grass. Then one of those creatures slammed right up against the glass where my face was. I flew back, everyone screaming behind me. Outside we heard screeches surrounding the building. Some came from under the house too. Some were even on top of the roof. There was banging on the walls and scratching everywhere. I ran into the larger bedroom, grabbing the rifle my dad kept in the closet. Then I ran back into the living room, aiming it at the floor, where I'd heard one of those things scratching. At the same time, my brother, Anne, and Marie had acquired knives from the kitchen. They'd huddled on top of the coffee table that was struggling under their combined weight. I fired off a shot at the floor, Right after that, I heard a screech, and scuttering away. I reloaded and repeated this, until there was silence outside the cabin. What do we do? Mike said. Get the heck out of here, Marie and Anne both said in different ways. I held a hand up for them to be quiet, not convinced that these weird things were all gone. I looked out the windows again, and I could see things moving in the trees across the field, they were still out there waiting i told them what i saw we stayed inside the cabin for hours unsure of whether to stay or leave eventually i stopped seeing movement in the trees so we quietly and quickly packed up our things the truck was only 10 feet away from the front door i shone the flashlight around it and into the neighboring woods to make sure we were all clear it seemed clear So after locking the cabin door, we made a mad dash for the truck, throwing our stuff inside. We locked the truck doors too, and started the engine. When the truck lights turned on, lighting up the driveway, we spotted one of those things running across the road. Taking a deep breath, I put the truck into drive. It jolted forward as I stepped on the gas heavily. Going down the driveway and out onto the road, we saw movement everywhere. The forest seemed to be crawling with shadows. I was so terrified. My eyes burned. I didn't want to shut them for a minute. We turned onto the main road, where I saw one of those things sitting on the road. I pressed on the gas and went over 90 on the dirt road, and I aimed right for it. But when I passed over it, it just stood up on bent limbs and slowly walked away, its eyes never reflecting any light like grey pools on the all-black leathery-looking thing. It watched us leave. We didn't stop until we were back in the city. It was around 6am then when we pulled up into the apartment complex. Honestly, we were surprised we weren't pulled over by how fast I was going. After that, we went up and fell asleep in my apartment, absolutely exhausted. My brother and I don't like talking about what happened back then, and our girlfriends broke up with us weeks later after that. We talked our father into selling the cabin after months of convincing, and I would like to say it's over. But it's not. I still have nightmares where I'm stuck in that cabin, and those things are scratching at the walls and floor. When they finally break through, I wake up. I want to know what they are. I want closure. I am tempted to go back every few years to see if they're still there or if they moved on. Why did they choose to come after us? I want to know. Maybe someone can hear my description and know what these things are and why they came after four young adults just looking for a peaceful trip in the woods. Here's the description from me and my brother combined. They were black and leathery looking, about four and a half to five feet tall with about four claw-like fingers and toes. They had grey, large eyes that don't reflect light, with a skinny body and limbs. They crawled around but sometimes would stand up on two legs. Their back legs were bent the wrong way. We couldn't really see the mouth from how far they were from us, but the screeching made our eardrums shake with how loud it was. They're fast and hard to see, and they waited until night to come after us as a pack. If you know what these monstrous things are, please, let us know. I have to know. The Bones from the Fire From Anonymous I live in a town in Scotland. It's mostly urban, but we do have a good amount of rural areas. This story happened when I was in primary school. I was nine years old. I lived in a house very close to the rural areas of the town. These rural areas had loads of abandoned places as part of them, and my friends and I would go to hang out at them. It was summer break at the time. Me and my two friends, T and E, decided we'd go and explore the old abandoned graveyard that loads of people would hang out at. After getting some food and drinks from a shop, we went down the long narrow road that led to the old graveyard. We passed some farms and joked about the smell of cow manure coming from E and were making other dumb nine-year-old jokes until we made it to the graveyard. Once there, we all stopped the constant joking due to us being a bit creeped out but not wanting to openly admit it. The graves were covered in moss, the names unreadable and hidden by the overgrowth. There were bottles and cans of empty drinks scattered all over the place and the trees made it darker within. We climbed up onto the old broken down small building there, sitting down and eating some food and drinks. After a few minutes of laughing together, T stopped and began to stare outside of the graveyard towards the open area near the river. I then looked over where he was looking and saw a group of people at a fire. We could slowly start to hear them shouting things, scaring us. Then a car came up to the graveyard, parking right outside of it, with no one getting out. The three of us decided we'd take another way back and ran up the hills that would take us eventually back to the houses, once we ran far enough. While we ran, we could hear the group shouting stuff still. Then a scream came from someone. I didn't look back, but T did. The other people saw him, and one shouted at him to come down to them. But we just kept running after that. 30 minutes later we were near the houses and a store but we were still on the farmland. I tripped as I was running which I'm kind of glad I did as T then put his hand on an electric fence in front of us and E had to pull him off of it. That was almost me. It left T with a scar and the fence surrounded us from getting back to the streets of our town. This meant we had to go back. So we did. When we got to where that group had been They were gone now, and their campfire had been put out. E ran over to it. When he came back, he brought bones. There was what I could only describe as a deformed bull skull due to the horns on it. E took the skull and bones with him, and we eventually got back to our houses. We played outside at the park for a while. Some boys came over to us and asked E where he got those bones. He told them from a fire near the river. The boys said those bones were cursed, that we had to get rid of them. He put them in the bin in the park, and we all went home, scared of being cursed. The following day, the bones were all gone. However, everything else was still in the bin. This left us three to wonder why would someone bin raid for those bones if it was just a trash collector? Then why only take the bones from the top? We promised each other we would never go back down there, and as far as I know, the three of us haven't. I moved to a more urban part of town. A new place meant a new school, and that meant I stopped talking to E. In our last year primary, E pulled a knife on T, but fortunately someone spotted him. T's parents got a divorce, and he started doing substances in his third year of high school. He then got sent to a behavioral school, and we've only spoken about three times since. During my second year of high school, my house burned down. And now as I write this, I'm starting to wonder if that so-called curse had anything to do with any of the bad stuff happening to us. Although it's unlikely, I still can't help but wonder about it. What were those strangers doing during the summer break? Why did they seem so hostile when they saw us? It makes me wonder what they were up to. It's been about seven years now, and I haven't returned to that graveyard, although some other friends have, including T's cousin. But from what I've heard, the most unusual thing they experienced were wind chimes shaking about and clanging against each other, despite there being no wind at all. Out of all the abandoned places I've been to and all these strange experiences I've had, Those bones were what scared me the most. Bigfoot in Remote, Maine From Claymore My dad's cousin owns a camp in a remote part of the state of Maine, three hours from where I live. We go up there with him two to three times a year to hunt partridge and go fishing. It's such a fun experience to go up there and do things away from the rest of society. It's an introvert's dream, so to speak. This particular trip was quite a bit different from the other trips. We'd spent Friday evening, Saturday, and half of a Sunday up there fishing. We never caught much of anything, but it was still fun to do. We had spent most of Sunday morning packing up our food, sleeping bags, clothes, etc., We spent a few more hours fishing off the dock and just chatting about things from the past. Things we hoped to do in the future. Basic discussion. It was around 10 a.m. then, and my dad asked, All right, bud, you ready to leave? Sure, I replied. It was always hard to leave that place because of how beautiful the sunrises were. I figured we would see some wildlife on the ride out, so I looked forward to that. We jumped in the truck and pulled out of the camp driveway i watched the small house slowly fade into nothing as we drove down the road the road to get in and out of there is around 15 miles long so we were in for a treat we were around seven miles down the road when we both got thirsty he stopped the truck to check on the four-wheeler and to get us some gatorade that morning the air was brisk and the leaves on the trees were almost gone it was towards the end of fall. Suddenly, something caught my eye in the trees. I looked over near a large oak tree, and I saw something that I couldn't yet explain. I saw this black, hairy arm wrapped around the tree, and a head poking around the tree from side to side. Whatever it was, it seemed quite curious. Then it darted away from the tree and ran up the hill. It stopped at the top of that hill, We made eye contact one last time, before it went over the other side of the hill. It was around 7 feet tall and had thick black hair. Its arms looked strong and muscular. Now I knew my dad was a Bigfoot skeptic, so I asked him if he'd seen that bear. No, where was it? He asked. It ran up that hill. I replied, pointing in the direction I saw it. Cool dude, my dad exclaimed. The whole drive home, I couldn't stop thinking about the whole experience. Sometimes I wonder if it was a bear, or if I was seeing things. I just can't convince myself that the thing wasn't a Bigfoot. I looked on the BFRO website and saw that there were several sightings in that part of Maine. I believe, without a doubt, that what I saw was a Bigfoot. The Ghosts Down by the River From Skull Z. My friend and I were going down to the nearby river to just hang out and make a campfire. Let's call him L. Every time we go down there, we walk past a car crashed into a tree. I can't be sure if it actually crashed or if it was simply abandoned there, but there was a lot of trash down the hill too. Past that tree is just more hill that goes down farther, and down there is full of trash. We could also smell that trash, mostly rotten deer. Elle and I were walking past that car when we heard a scream down there. At first, we thought our friends were in the car trying to scare us. We looked down at the car, but didn't see anyone. Then we looked at each other, a bit worried. The scream came again then, but this time, we knew it wasn't in the car, because the scream was farther down. Dude, what the heck is that? Elle asked. I don't know, I told him. The scream happened once more. If I had to describe it, it sounded like a guy, not too harsh, but also fake, if that makes sense. No, dude, we're getting out of here, Elle said, shivering. We turned around, and before we could walk away, we could see a truck coming towards us. We waved to say hi, then we saw a person get out. I think he was coming out to greet us because I think he knew L. We told him about the screaming we heard. Then he explained, "Be careful out here. Loved ones and other people have passed away down there." Why do we need to be careful? L asked. I thought, "Why would he ask that? Doesn't he know there are dangerous animals out there?" That's what I expected this person to explain. But instead, we received this answer. Because you don't want to anger the spirits down there. You may have to be quiet coming down here so you won't disturb them. Al and I were both being loud walking down. I looked down at the bottom of the hill and yelled, Sorry. After that, I felt bad because I thought I sounded a bit too sarcastic or something. When I looked back at the guy, he looked upset. Well, you be careful now. I'll see you later. He bid us farewell, then went back to his truck. He backed up out of there and left. I wondered why he stopped by then. Why had he driven this direction? After all, he never even went down to the river. After that, we changed our minds and continued to walk down there. We even threw rocks down the hill. I know it was stupid after hearing about possible spirits down there but after rolling an especially big rock, I'm talking big, one we couldn't even pick up together, a second later, we heard a little girl scream. This one wasn't soft, like the guys scream. This one was loud, and it hurt my ears. The reason this was unusual was because there was no possible way a little girl could get past all these sticker bushes and brush down there. Nobody really could. There were no paths or anything, and yet we heard people screaming just beyond it. We looked at each other again, and started walking back up the trail to a church that was close to the path. I'm not sure if this is scary to you, but it scared us nonetheless. We still go down to the river sometimes, but here on out we're more cautious, never throwing rocks down there again. I hope that whatever is down there isn't especially mad at us. Camping Trip Gone Wrong From Big Boy Thanos My brother, his girlfriend, my sister, my parents, and I were going on a camping trip. I was 15 at the time. I just went through a breakup with my girlfriend and was depressed, being quiet 80% of the time. My parents kept telling me to cheer up. They could tell I was trying but wasn't really able to. The day we went camping, we were nearly to our campsite, when suddenly, we ran into two guys. Both of them were tall and had messy hair, and they smelled like straight-up garbage. They asked if we knew where they could find the lake. My dad politely pointed out where to go and how to get there. But something in my gut told me that these two were bad news. They went on their way, then we went on ours. When we made it to the campsite, we set up the tents and the campfire. After that, my big brother and I went off to go hunting. I was the better hunter of the two of us. My brother had his own rifle, but wanted to learn from me. After a bit of a hike, I noticed multiple pairs of boot prints and some mud. I was confused because they looked fresh. Now, we were hunting on our land. There should have been no one else in this area. I brushed it off and showed my brother how to hunt a deer. We managed to bag one and bring it back for dinner. The best part of camping for us was eating what we hunted. When nightfall came, I was probably the only one up in my tent still. I was drawing in my notebook. That's when I heard my sister get out of her tent and walk into the woods. I got up and followed her with my rifle. I called out to her. What are you doing up so late? She jumped at this and turned around, relieved that it was just me. She punched me for scaring her. She said she was going out for a walk and a smoke. I told her she's gonna need a guide, and she said that's fine, because she was always scared of being lost. We walked together for a few minutes, talking about life, but then I heard something walking nearby. I told her to stop, and I pulled out my rifle. I waited to see what it was, but because of how dark it was, it was difficult to see anything. My sister had a flashlight, but she said that the batteries were dead. I muttered, great, and I told her to stay behind me in a whisper. She did as I told her. I yelled out asking who's there. Then, one of those two guys from before came out of the darkness. I asked him what he's doing out here so late. He said something along the lines of, none of your darn business. He glanced behind me for a moment. Instinctively, I turned around, grabbing my sister's hand and running all the way back to the campsite. My sister and I dived into my tent, since I left it unzipped. I could hear footsteps around the campsite. My heart sank when I heard a knife gliding across my tent. The two of us backed up against the other side of it. I reached for my rifle, but then the knife stopped. Someone outside laughed. Then, whoever it was cut the tent open. One of those two men tried to climb inside, but I kicked at them, and my sister screamed. Everyone in the campsite woke up. They came rushing over, but those two men left right away. We called 911 and a ranger. The area was searched. They found the two guys. And worst of all, they found two bodies of missing people. That's as far as I can comfortably say with this story, except one last thing. My family and I never went camping again after that. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on itunes thank you until next time everyone remember this world is a strange one so stay safe out there and stay creepy